one. Questions and answers to questions. Probably nowadays the number one question I receive from church folk, from people that used to come to our church. I got a text a few weeks ago from someone hasn't been here probably in three years, and they're like, is this the mark of the beast? And they sent me something. I get asked often, are we in the end times? And I'm going to give you some thoughts on that tonight, and I'm going to help you out with some of that tonight. That might be why we got some extras here tonight, end time stuff. People like talking about this stuff. And so... And, it's, and the Bible talks about it's ble- you're blessed to study the prophecies, the book of Revelation and things. And there's a lot in the book of Revelation. Someday I'll do a whole, I've got a whole series ready. It's 56 sermons through the book of Revelation. You say, why haven't you done it yet? I don't know if you're ready for that one yet. So I haven't done it yet. And so, but I've got it. Are we in the end times? Acts chapter number one. We're going to look at a few verses tonight. And then we'll look at other verses as we go through here. And uh, in the day and age that we live, this question, as I mentioned, is probably the question I get asked more than anything. Are we in the end times? And let me give you the short, easy answer. Yes, we are. Say, well, how close are we? From the time Jesus ascended back into heaven, that's when the end times began. So we've been in the end times now for almost 2,000 years. Say, well, when are they going to end? I don't know. That's not my job to figure out, but we are in the end times. We look around us. We look at how crazy our world is today. You look at the sin that's in our world today. There's so much that we could talk about all these things. And uh, when we look at and we think about it, you think about what's going on around us nowadays. Just what is it in the city of L.A. and I know New York, they're mandating in for indoor places unless you've been vaccinated, you cannot go inside. Now, let me just help you out. And there are people that might disagree with me, and if you disagree with me, that's fine. You can be wrong. That's fine with me. I'm fine with that. And I tease when I say that. But the vaccine is not the mark of the beast, okay? It is not. Get past that. And, there are m- and let, me just, let me help you out a little bit more the vaccine for a minute tonight some of you might like what i say and some of you might not like what i say right here but this is it's your responsibility to research things for yourself not your job to judge someone else and what they decide to do you worry about you but i just don't think it then you don't do it and you do what you need to do for your family you take care of you God didn't give you everyone else to police and to make sure that they do everything. As a pastor, I'm not supposed to lord over anybody either. That's Bible. I am a firm believer you do the research for yourself, and you come to conclusions for yourself. You say, well, pastor, are you for it or are you against it? These are those that are for, these are those that are against it, and I'm right there in the middle. Say, well, how can you be? Don't worry about me. You worry about you. You be fully persuaded in your own mind what you do. Sometimes pe- people are funny. People look at me, and people look, have looked at me through this whole thing. I'm learning as I go, too. Now people say, Pastor, you're anti-mask. I don't think a mask works, but if you think it does, you do whatever you want to do. I have no problem with someone wearing a mask. And if a business wants me to wear it, I wear it. I think it's ridiculous, but I do it. 
I will do what, if that's what a business wants, I'll follow what they want. So, well, I'm not, then you don't do it. You do whatever God leads you to do. You take care of you. Don't look at everybody else and, well, and the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. I will tell you this, though. Do you see how when people get scared over something, that what the world can push on people? So to think that you look at L.A. or you look at New York and that they say unless you're vaccinated, you can't go indoors to something, how easy will it be? All these people have disappeared somehow. They're the ones who didn't get the COVID shot or something. I don't know. But now we got to protect ourselves. And unless you have this chip or you have this special mark, you can't go into the store and buy anything. You can't do this or that. Do you see how easy, just from a year ago where we are today, where totally the mark of the beast and how that's going to work is falling right before our eyes? You can see how also you still see signs all over the place that we're in a national coin shortage and we're becoming less and less of a cash society. You know why? Because, and you say, what do these things have to, did you know there's a little chip in these? Oh, is that chip the mark of the beast? Who knows? Next they're going to say, why carry a wallet anymore? You can just put the chip in your, finger, your hand right there and go do anything you want. And if you don't like it in your hand, they'll put it in your forehead. Then if you forget your wallet, you don't got to worry. You get pulled over by an officer, you got your license in your forehead. You don't got to worry about it, right? And you say, could that happen? Who knows? I will tell you this, and let me just help you out tonight. As a Christian, as a believer of Jesus Christ, and having the Spirit of God inside of us, those that are saved, you will not, if, if for some odd reason we're still here when the mark of the beast comes around, you will not take it if you're saved. Because to take the mark of the beast, you will not go to heaven. And last time I checked, my eternal security is secure in Jesus Christ. So you got nothing to worry about there, okay? Just relax a little bit. Are we in the end times? Yes, we are. It's been going on now since Jesus went back to heaven. And it will continue till he comes to take his bride out of this world and sets off the tribulation time here on earth. We look at the scripture tonight. I want you to look at Acts chapter number 1. We're going to look at a few thoughts, and then we'll dive into some things tonight. Verse number 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jer Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And w when they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord... Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? You see, the, the, the disciples, their focus wasn't on the right thing. Are you going to restore the kingdom now? The kingdom still hasn't been restored to this point. Look at what Jesus says to them. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The disciples' response was, Lord, when are you going to set when, is, when are you going to restore Israel? And Jesus said, Don't worry about it. He said, What you need to worry about right now is the fact the Holy Spirit's coming, and you need to witness to everyone about what's taking place. So as we look tonight and as we dive into this thought. 
the last days, latter times, the last hour, that all surrounds the return of Christ. If we talk about the term, in the, uh, the theological term is eschatology. Estos means last or latter, and ology or means doctrine. So that's what we're going to talk about, eschatology tonight. That's a big word. We're going to talk about some things about the end times. As we talk about these things tonight, and as we dive further into it, we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to get right into things and move quickly through it. Father, we need your help tonight. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for your word. And I thank you for what it brings us during these times. And as we study this time in the scriptures, I pray that you'd help us tonight, that you'd just meet with us and help us tonight in your word. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we talk about the end times, there are two extremes we must avoid. The first one is centralization. And that's a tendency where we try to fit every news article into Bible prophecy. And people do that. Every little thing. So how does Afghanistan fit into Bible prophecy? How does COVID fit into Bible prophecy? How does stubbing my big toe last night fit into Bible prophecy? And you laugh about that. But a lot of times it happens. And we look at every news event, and as we talk about this thing, for some the tendency is to obsess about Bible prophecy by just making it fit into everything. This is what the Bible says, what Paul, the warning that Paul gave in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 2. That ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirits nor by word, nor by letters as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Hey, Christian, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. But where are we at in the prophetic calendar? We've still got some time. Let me give you a little, let me give you a little thought. This is Brianology here for a minute. There's got to be a third temple built because it's here during the, uh, during the tribulation time. There is no third temple yet. The furniture's ready for it. They even talk about the heifer being ready for it. They talk about a lot of things for it. But the third temple's not here yet. The third temple's going to play an important role in a lot of those things that happen. We are getting close. But we've been saying we've been getting close for a very long time. Don't look at every news article and every little thing and try and make it fit. But then those that centralize it too much are on one side of the extreme, but then you got those who trivialize it, trivialize it on the other side. And the other ones who think, oh, he's never, he's taken this long, when's he ever going to come? He's coming. The Bible says so. And when we think about this, say, well, he should have came. Do you realize God doesn't do things when we think he should? And I'm glad he does do things when I think he should. He does things when it's right. And he knows, like I said before, God's never early. God's never late. He's always right on time. None of us in this room are ever right on time. It's impossible for that to happen. You know, you have your extremes. You got your Annette on one side that's always early. Right, Annette? Yeah. And she was here before the lights were even on tonight, but she was here in time for the meeting, so that's good. 
Then you got those on the other side who are always late, but I'm not going to say any names, okay? We'll leave that one out. Felix, you were the last one in the door tonight, so I'll leave that out. So you got your two sides of it, and then everyone else fits in between there somewhere, but you're never right on time because literally you would have jumped into your seat at 7 o'clock in zero seconds, but church didn't even start right on time. The Lord is always right on time. You're either early or you're late, but he's always right on time. And so we could go to one extreme or the other, and this is, this is what people do. There is extremes on both sides of it. Those that try and fit every little thing, and you will hear and you'll look at preachers online that do this a lot, okay? And I'm not going to start naming names tonight, but there are some that don't live too far from us here, that pastor close to here. And every news thing that goes on, it's Bible prophecy unfolding right before our eyes. It could be partially, and it's not always. And sometimes we get too caught up on Bible prophecy. And so, but then you got the other side of it where, oh, it's not going to happen. You don't want to be on either end of these spectrums. And so as we dive in, and I give you some more thoughts tonight, let me give you some preliminary points tonight to help us. Number one, about Bible prophecy we don't know for sure when Jesus is coming back. But we're certain, guess what? He is coming back. There is no doubt about it. Did you know that for every one verse in the Bible that speaks about Jesus, his first coming, that there are about eight verses which describe his second coming? There are a lot more verses about the second coming than the first coming. And it's all, and I want you to know tonight, he is coming. The Bible makes that clear. And you might look around and say, I just don't see how the world could get any worse. When's he coming? He's coming. Say, well, why is he coming? Because the Bible says so. Why is it that we as Christians trust him for salvation, but we don't trust him for anything else? Do you know the hardest thing in all the world is to keep your soul saved? And he said he'll do that. We trust him on that one like it's nothing. But then he says he's going to come back. He's going to come back. He says things. He means what he says. You can trust him. So we don't know for sure when Jesus is coming back, but we are certain that he is. Number two, there are differences of interpretation regarding end time events. Many people will pick up the Bible and they have lots of different ideas when it comes to his return. The three main ideas, you have the pre-tribulation rapture. You have the pre-wrath position. And then you have the post-tribulation. Those are the three main ideas that are there. And s those that are post-tribulation have their reasons for why they say that they do. Those that are mid-tribbers have their reason for theirs, and then those that are pre-tribbers have theirs for theirs. I stand, I'm a pre-tribulational rapture guy. That's what I believe the Bible teaches, and I will sit down any time with anybody who feels differently and just show you what the Bible says, and you can take it from there. At the end of the day, if I'm wrong and you're right, when we go up halfway through the rapture, I'll tell you that you are right if you want. If we sit and go through the whole tribulation, I was completely seven years off, I'll tell you I was wrong. If it's the other way around, I expect you to come say, no, I don't expect anybody to do that. The big problem that happens, and when it comes to these differences of interpretation, 
if I really believe if you're going to do a study on Bible prophecy, you must start with the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is the backbone of prophecy. You could go on our church website, my YouTube videos, old sermons, and I did a whole series of on these things. The backbone of prophecy lays everything out in the book of Daniel chapter 9, the end of the chapter. What happens is people will take the book of Revelation and try and take it straight through like everything is in order. The book of Revelation is not in order with everything. And I could take time and show you all of that, but we don't have time tonight. The other thing that happens is people take the book of Matthew and they take it literally for all Christians. The book of Matthew was written to portray Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the King of the Jews. Sorry, the King of the Jews, the Son of God is John. The book of Matthew, he's portrayed as the King of the Jews. The book of Matthew was written to the Jews. As Jesus was there in the temple stepping out, the disciples asked him a question, and he explained to them what was going to unfold. And he talked about the abomination of desolation, which takes place right in the middle of the tribulation, and he goes through all the details. You've got to understand something. Israel, when they cut off the Messiah and chose not to take Jesus as king, God says, I'm done with you for now. God is not done with Israel forever. There are those who believe that the church replaced the Jews. We did not replace the Jews. Because God is going to use the Jews and work through them again. That's what the last seven years, the tribulation, is all about. And so, as we look at Christians and things during the book of Matthew chapter 24 and 25, that's referring to the Jews during that time. And the, the book of Romans makes it clear. There's other passages, and I know I'm going probably a million miles an hour for some of you tonight, but it, as we look at like the book of Romans, it says, until the fulfillment of the Gentiles is complete. That's when the rapture will take place, then God is going to work through the Jews. There are going to be 144,000 Jews that evangelize the world. There's a lot of things that God is not done with his people. Because think about this, if God was done with the Jews at this point, then God's promises to Abraham were never fully fulfilled. You see, the millennial reign, all the things that have to come to pass, God must use the Jews again for, all those th for his promises to be fulfilled, and God always fulfills all of his promises. That's why I'm a pre-tribulational rapture guy. And I go deeper than that if anybody needs it sometime. And that's where our church stands. We are a pre-tribulation church. That's in our bylaws, that's in our church doctrine, and that's where we stand. If you feel differently about that, that's okay, because at the end of the day, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you're trusting in Him for salvation, if we want to fight and argue a little bit about post-mid or whatever, pre, I, that's no big deal. But if you do teach around here, you're going to teach pre-tribulational rapture. That's just the way that goes, and so... Just, and be grateful for a church that stands for some doctrine, because some churches say anything goes, and uh, that's not us. So they see there are differences of interpretation regarding end times events. Number three, we must avoid date setting. How many people have made Christians look so terrible by setting dates? Wasn't there, there was like a May 12th one year, only a few years ago, and the Lord is coming on this day, and these people were all ready for him to come. And he didn't come. For the past 2,000 years, reckless, undiscerning Christians have set dates. But this is what Jesus said. Matthew 24 and verse 36. But of that day and hour, 
knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. If you take that verse literally, does Jesus know when it's going to happen? It says the Father only. You say, but God the Father, God, the, they're all one, but they're three distinct. So if you want to sit and argue about that, you can. But he says, my Father only. That's what he says. So how can some Christian get some special revelation and say, this is the day he's coming? You can't. Because Jesus, I mean, the Father's the only one who knows when that day's coming. So don't get into dates. Don't follow people and that set dates. They don't know what they're talking about. All right? That's just to help you out. Number four, history and future events are linear, not cycles. History is his story, and his, it's headed somewhere. And when we mean linear, we know what we mean like this. It's not just one cycle. It's linear. And so what is the next event on the Lord's calendar? The rapture is the next event. That is what's coming next. And we've been in the church age now, almost 2,000 years, and we're getting to the point the rapture is the next thing. The rapture, when the rapture takes place, and the rapture is when the Lord th comes and we meet him in the clouds. He doesn't set foot on the earth yet. That's the day of the Lord at the end of the tribulation. But the rapture sets off all the events that take place. The dead in Christ rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, we're caught up together to be with the Lord. We go up. Tribulation begins. That's what the Bible teaches. Then at the end of the seven years of tribulation, he comes to earth and the battle of Armageddon takes place. And we could go deeper into those things. we got to understand that history and future events, they're linear, not cycles. Some people teach their cycles, but I believe that they're linear. Next, the aim of prophecy is always practical. Well, we want to know, we want to know the when and what questions. But that's not what we need to focus on. The focus needs to be, the Bible tells us in Luke 18 and verse number 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. What we need to be worried about is not the when and the what, but the who, which is Jesus, and how we are living till he comes. Forget about the when and the what. Focus on the who and how we are living till he comes. That's what's supposed to happen. That's the practical side of it. Prophecy is not designed to satisfy your curiosity. It is to help us live for him and to tell everyone about him. We need to remain faithful to him in these days. And so those are just some preliminary points let me give you some thoughts of things that are going to take place, and we are just going to run through these, and we'll be done tonight. So where are we at on time? We're doing great. We're doing great. And you kids tonight are doing an excellent job. You, uh, excellent job by all the kids. Wednesday nights, I purposely don't have a kids program because our kids need to learn how to sit in church because they're not always going to have fun and games. And if they are always used to fun and games, and I know Matthew, my little Matthew, I know this is your least favorite service of the whole week. He's told me that. Dad, I'm with you tonight. Ugh. <laughs> what does he say? The church he don't like. 
is Wednesday nights when he's in here. That's the church he don't like. And so that's, that's just how, and I get that. But I remember as a four- and five-year-old boy learning how to sit in church, and it's a good thing to learn because you don't always get a treat when you're good. But I will tell you this, if you're good tonight, I do have treats for all the kids. So if your parents at the end say you were good, you can come see me afterwards. I have treats for all the kids like I do every Wednesday night. And so at least you get something out of it. And, and if there's an adult in here that says, well, Pastor, I was good. As long as you're not frowning at me and you've got a nice smile tonight and uh, whatever the case may be, you can have a treat too if you need it. So we go through here. I'm going to give you ten signs, ten biblical signs. We're in the end times. Number one, we talk about the restoration of Israel. A pretty good book on Bible prophecy, David Jeremiah put it out on the book of signs. And he talks about how Israel being back formed into a nation in 1948 as one of the signs that the end is near, and I believe that that's true. The Bible talks about in Isaiah 66, 8, who hath heard such a thing, who hath seen such a thing, shall the earth be made to bring forth in a day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travaileth, she brought forth her children. And you can think about it all through the Bible. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter number 12. God made a promise to Abraham. And that promise, I'll make of thee a great nation, and I'll bless thee, and I'll make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I'll just put a little plug right there. I think one of the reasons why God has blessed America like he has for so long has been our treatment of the nation Israel. I believe that that's real and that's there. Now, I don't go crazy about because they still have to trust Christ just like anybody else. They are not perfect in the things that they do, but God chose those people. God did. And I've had people say, Pastor, why did God choose the Jews? Because he did. That's not my job to figure out. Aren't you glad he chose the Jews and the Gentiles? I'm glad he chose Gentiles too. If he only chose the Jews, then I might look and say, hey, what's up with that? But he didn't. He chose all people, and I thank God for that. But God did choose the Jews. That's where the Son of God, he went through their line. The Word of God was handed down through that line. The Old Testament, so much, there's so much that we could say. And while God promises to bless the world through Israel, Many nations rise up against them. It's always been that way, and it continues to be that. You look, Israel is such a small little spot. Jerusalem, why is Jerusalem always in the news? Why do people dis... And all the fighting between the Palestinians and the, and the Jews, all these things. Why is it always... Why is it such a... A little piece of land, why is it such a big deal? Because it goes back to the Bible promise. And there are many people that despise the Jews. And as we get closer to the Lord's return, the anti-Semitism is going to grow. That's what Matthew 24 talks uh, in detail about. And But you look, for many years, Israel was not a nation. And then in 1948, they're established as a nation again? That's an amazing thing that took place in 1948. And not something to look at lightly. It had been years since they had been destroyed and scattered abroad. And then they're brought back. And as, we, and as we look at this, you look at 
Iran today and all these different places. The book of uh, Zechariah 12.3 says, And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All the burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. The Bible talks about people are going to be against the city of God, Jerusalem. And as we look at these things, some signs towards the end, the first one is the restoration of Israel. I believe that that's very important. Before 1948, they weren't even recognized as a nation for many years, and now they are again. Number two, increased apostasy. Increased apostasy. The Bible makes it clear in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The word falling away is the Greek word for apasta. Not like pasta you eat, but I think you know what I mean there. And it's where we get the word apostasy. And it's where people are going to want nothing to do with the Lord. They fall away. And we look at our world today. Christians, uh, we'll just put, Christians are very weak today. You read what they went through in the book of Acts, and you look at what Christians are going through in Afghanistan tonight. We American Christians are weak. I say we because I include myself in that. Past year, churches were afraid of getting fined. And I know we shouldn't get fined for having church, but they could lose their very lives tonight in Afghanistan. For those that live in China and have church underground, and yet we can't go when we have the freedom to meet. The Bible talks about a falling away. And I see you can see that before our eyes too happening and increased apostasy. And the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 4.1 that now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, the end times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, spirits and teaching of demons. And while this is shocking, it shouldn't surprise us. Because Jesus gave a warning in Matthew chapter 24, verse 10 through 12. It says, and, they shall, and then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. It shouldn't surprise you that this is going to happen. And we've got to keep our guard up. And we've got to make sure that we're letting the Spirit of God lead us and guide us. But this is the problem. Most Christians don't know their Bible doctrine today. And some pastor gets up behind a pulpit and he says, this is what the Bible says, and yep, that's what it says. You don't have a clue if it says that or not. You trust some guy getting up behind a pulpit like he's going to be, don't trust, don't trust someone getting behind a pulpit preaching the Word. They can take any verse they want and make it say anything they want to say. Saying, Pastor, you're telling me not to trust you? That's what I just said. Go home and study it for yourself and see if what I say is true or not. And if it's not, come back and call me out on it and we'll talk about it. But that's one of the problems. And the Bible even talks about, we'll take some of those verses in there where it says, it's better that a millstone were cast around your neck 
than to hurt one of God's little ones. And sometimes we take that that that's talking about child abuse, and I believe it could fit there. But you take that verse in context there of what it's saying. It's talking about those that take God's people, the young believers, and infiltrate them with false doctrine. It's better for them that a millstone they're cast into the sea than that they would offend one of God's little ones and teach them the wrong thing. But as we see it getting closer and closer to that time, we're going to see increased apostasy. Number three, growing godlessness. The closer we get to the end, you're going to see growing godlessness. Now, I think you could already say, so Israel's been restored. You could look at the apostasy. I think that's getting, that's growing around us today. I think, look at what the Bible has to say in uh, first and Second Timothy 3, verse 1 through 3. Know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now, look at what the Bible says about the end days. For men shall be lovers of them own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. Doesn't that sound like our world today? Yeah, it sounds like our world today. It's amazing when you hear these things and you look at it. But you could, there are, Barna does polls and things, and some of their polls that they've done, think about this one. Uh, Barna surveyed um, a bunch of millennials, and they found that only 4% of America's 75 million millennials have a biblical worldview. 4%. That's my age group. That's a, uh, that's a millennial. 4%. We are getting further and further away from a, world, from a biblical worldview. And so we see these things unfolding before our eyes. We see growing godlessness. Next, number four, as we get closer, we're going to see spiritual apathy. Spiritual apathy. Bible talks about in Matthew 24, verse 37 through 39. And it talks about that when, when he will return, when people are doing just ordinary things, going through life with a whatever attitude. But as in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And people just live their lives with a whatever attitude. Christians live that way today. You know, we look at the, and we could get into dispensationalism, and we could go down so many different. I do believe, you look in the book of Revelation, you look at the different churches. You look at the way, and I believe that the seven churches listed in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 were seven literal churches of that day. There's no doubt about that. But I also believe you can look at those seven churches and very easily see the church age un and evolve through all of it. And you, the Laodicean church, the church that thought that they were so good, and yet they weren't, 
had their own form of godliness to some degree, and yet Jesus was on the outside knocking, seeing if he could even come, he would come in. But yet there's going to be increased apathy. Number five, a lot of false teaching. False teaching. False teachers have, it's all around us today, but look what the Bible has to say. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 through 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But look at what it says. After their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Doesn't it sound like our world today? People want to hear what makes them happy. Sorry, but you've been around here long enough. I don't say a lot of things that make you happy. I'm trying to say what the Bible has to say. But there are a lot of preachers that don't. We could go down that road, but I'm not going to get into name calling tonight. The Bible makes it clear in Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come in unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. False teaching. How about next? Number six, natural disasters. The Bible tells us in Luke 21, 11, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places and famines and pestilence and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. Earthquakes, more of them, bigger. You know, when people look around, the hurricanes are getting worse. Or as our governor, the hots are getting hotter. And he blames it on global warming and things like that. Are you saying global warming might not? The world's going to get really hot one of these days. It's going to get really hot. But I'll tell you this. Earthquakes. Y you see these big ones. Haiti, didn't they just have a big one the other day? And thousands of people die from them. Weird weather in different places. It's all signs that the end is getting closer. The world's not going to get better. And not using your aerosol can of hairspray is not going to change what's coming. Next, number seven, sinful scoffers. A scoffer is someone who mocks Christ or ridicules the things of God. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 3 and 4 says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days. You see this? I'm just showing you what the Bible says. Shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You keep saying he's coming, but everything just keeps going right in line. Nothing's changing. And as we get closer to that time, there's going to be more people scoffing about it. Number eight, international conflict. International conflict. That's why you say, could any of this stuff be Bible prophecy? Sure, it could be. I'm just telling you not to label everything as that. But you think about, um, you know, one of the ones that really will play somewhat a role in things, think about Syria in that area. That's going to play a big role because Russia's got to have, and they got to have their way down over here. 
into Jerusalem. And we could talk more about all that stuff another time. But the Bible tells us in Mark 13, verse 7 and 8, Jesus said, And when they shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. Man, you see, Jesus says, hey, hey, don't worry about it. Isn't that what he says? Right, you say, but pastor, I look and our, everything's, a, if you're a saved child of God, what are you worried about tonight? You're going to be okay. We, we, this past year has proven a lot of Christians are very fearful. I had someone just the other day, they called me and they're like, pastor, and they were talking about the, the vaccine thing. Pastor, is the sin to get the vaccine if you're fearful? Like, fear isn't right for a Christian at all. But you could look at it the other way around. Let's say you're fearful to get the vaccine. Isn't that fear too? If you take the vaccine or not, is it going to change one day of when God's going to take you to be with him? No. If you get COVID or you don't get COVID, is it going to change one day? No. You have a birth date? You have an expiration date. There's nothing you can do to change it. I've worked hard to lose a lot of weight this past year and a half. And I've had people say, Pastor, you're going to live a lot longer. Nope. I'm going to live just as long as I was before. Maybe my days will be a little healthier and my knees will last a little longer, prayerfully. But it's not going to change. The Lord has my time already picked. He decides. He's the giver and the taker of life. Why fear? That's as Jesus said, when he hear, shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows there. Ladies that have had children. You know when those uh, contractions begin? And then they start getting closer and closer. You're like, the baby's coming soon. That's literally where this word comes from. The beginning of sorrows. It says you're getting ready to give birth. It's just the beginning. And this world, you think about the Antichrist is going to claim peace, 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 but there will be no peace till the millennial reign of Christ, the Prince of Peace. Number nine, the rise of Antichrist. So you know that spirit of Antichrist is around us today, too. There are many that claim to be Christ that have nothing to do with Christ. Mark 13, verse 5 and 6, And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. The word take heed means to watch, keep your eyes open. Jesus was urging his followers, hey, keep your eyes open and watch out for spiritual imposters. The Bible tells us in 1 John 2, verse number 18, little children is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. That was written 2,000 years ago. It's only getting worse. And then number 10, 
You think about worldwide gospel proclamation. The Bible talks about that in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Do you know there are close to 2 billion, 1.5 to 2 billion people over 6,000 language groups that don't have a Bible. They might have bits and pieces, but they don't have a full Bible. Yeah, we have tons of Bibles, don't we? We should be grateful for what we have. And so, when we look at all those things, I'm probably going to take next week, and maybe I'll answer some of the questions like, how does the rapture work? How about the judgment seat of Christ? How about the great white throne judgment? What are those scorpions that come out of the pits of hell? I can talk about that. I'll talk about that next week. Who are the two prophets that are going to be prophesying in the book of Revelation? Next week, I'm going to take all the crazy things about Revelation. I'm going to answer all those crazy things next week. But to, so we can close tonight. I'm going to skip a lot of those things. I'm going to give you the end, and you got there in your notes. And next week, I'll answer. And so this week, I'll give you a little challenge. Between tonight and and tomorrow, send me a text of any revelation question you have, be it the tribulation, be it the rapture, be it the 144,000 Jews, anything in the book of Revelation. You've got a question. You can write it down before you leave, put it on the pulpit, or send me a text. And next week or over the next couple weeks, I'll answer all those questions I get. If you give me no questions, I'll come up with my own. So... Since we see this tonight, how am I supposed to apply Revelation and the end times to my life? I'm glad you asked me that. Number one, live out your faith. I like what D.L. Moody once said. He said, I have been working three times as hard since I came to understand that my Lord is coming again. Luke 21, 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your head, for your redemption draweth nigh. When Jesus returns, do you want him to find you being lazy? No, when the rapture comes, he's going to be like a thief in the night, right? That's not the moment I want to sit in the bar with a beer in my hand and be playing with the boys, and then Jesus, oh, hello. Oh, God, that thing dropped out of my hand. It's not the time I want to be watching some dirty TV show talking bad about a fellow Christian. I would love to be witnessing to someone when he comes. I would love to be sitting in church. I would love to be reading my Bible at home. Live out your faith. Because you don't know when he's going to come. He could come at any moment. Literally, he could come before we dismiss tonight. And when you be, I would much, I'd be glad that I was in church tonight instead of sitting at home watching Will of Fortune or what Jeopardy, whatever you watch, or whatever sports game's on. Live out your faith. Here's a good one. Rearrange your priorities. Rearrange your priorities. We prioritize things that don't matter. <laughs> when we stand before the Lord someday, I'm going to be like, Brian, I'm glad you went to that football game. I don't think he's going to tell me that. Brian, I'm glad you watched that Laker game. Brian, I'm glad you went on that hike. 
What really matters? What really matters? If we lived in light of his coming, what really matters? You know, the first thought that comes to my mind is telling someone else about him because he's coming. So if that's so important, when's the last time you told someone? Isn't that what Jesus told us to do? He told us to do that. He said it. So when's the last time you told someone about him? That's why we need to rearrange our priorities. We live life all about us, and when we get to heaven, God's not going to be concerned about us. What do we do with what he's given to us? Let's live for him today. Next, number three, encourage one another. What does the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians when he goes through the list of the end times, what does Paul say? He says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Could that verse be any smaller on the screen there? Yes, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. To comfort means to come alongside to give whatever help is needed. That comfort, that's what the comforter, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And then are you ready? Number four, urgently tell lost people about the Lord. Don't get so caught up in prophecy that you forget to point people to Christ. What is the point of prophecy? So that we'll point people to Christ. Remember we read here in Acts a few minutes ago, the disciples like, when are you coming? She said, don't worry about that. You go be witnesses to all the world. That's what you need to worry about right now. There are people in Chino that need to hear the gospel. There are people where you work that need to hear the gospel. There are people who live by you that need to hear the gospel. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? We should be sharing the gospel constantly. It should be flowing from our lips. If we truly believe that the Lord was coming and we truly cared for people, man, Jesus was full of compassion, wasn't he? Are you full of compassion? Oh, I am, Pastor. Then when, who's the last person you told? Pastor, I've been busy. Oh, Jesus wasn't busy, was he? Tell someone about Jesus. Urgently tell lost people because the Lord is coming. And then lastly tonight, number five, hey, if you're not saved, you need to repent and receive Christ. Isn't that what Jesus taught about? That's what the gospel's all about? The Bible makes it clear in 2 Peter 3, verse 8 through 10, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But this is what, you say, why hasn't the Lord come yet? Right here. He's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Aren't you glad that the Lord waited for you to get saved? Do you know you might have someone in your life that you've been praying for them to get saved? Maybe you should be glad the Lord hasn't came yet because he hasn't given up on them yet. The Lord is gracious. And if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, what are you waiting for? The Lord's going to come. We just went through ten signs about his coming, and I think everything around us, all ten of those things fit in it. Am I wrong? All ten fit there. So let's live for the Lord. Let's get our priorities straight. Let's encourage one another. 
let's uh, urgently tell others about him. And if you're not saved, get saved. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, come find me after the service. I'll share the gospel with you tonight.